Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Welcome back, mining community. I hope we're uh, all doing well. So we've got another episode, and today we have a returning guest that appeared back in June 2019, which is episode 31. So I do encourage you to uh, go back to that episode. And so we have um, Steve Poulton, who's the founder of Altus Strategies, um, who are a project and royalty generator in the mining sector uh, with a focus on Africa um, and creating value by making mineral discoveries across uh, multiple licenses. Um, they're listed both on the London and Toronto stock exchanges. Um, and we're going to get an update from Steve on what they've been doing since we last spoke, which is uh, two and a half years ago, um, and discuss what projects they've been involved in, um, plus a lot more. So that's welcome, Steve, to the podcast. How are you doing, Steve? Thanks, Rob. Thanks for the introduction. Yep, doing doing really well. Hope you're doing well. It's been uh, it's been a busy two and a half years. It's been a long time, and uh, it's good to be back on uh, on your podcast. Yes, certainly, and uh, appreciate your your time. I know you've been pretty busy uh, recently. So, um, wondered if you can just give us a brief background about yourself. Um, obviously, if people want to know a little bit more about you, they can refer back to um, the previous the episode that we did before back in June two thousand nineteen. So, if you can just give us a quick snapshot of uh, your background for those that are listening. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, I would. I'll just sort of uh, quickly jump in and and, and semi-correct uh, the the intro you gave me, which is to say I was a co-founder of Altus, not the not the pure founder, a founder. Uh, founded the company with uh, Matthew Granger and, and David Netherway back in two thousand and seven, uh, and it's really been a. It's, I think I guess it's a function of the of the mining sector. Very few companies are set up by one individual. It is a very a collegiate uh, industry, and and you need many different skill types and and a, a very strong network to to make successful enterprises and to finance them in the first instance and uh, that requires different 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 people so we that was a co-founder situation as we have a number of all of the companies have been involved with so i'm a geologist by background graduating in uh, 1997 i think it was and then went on to campbell school of mines to the mining geology degree and followed that up by joining one of the very few listed companies back then in the junior resource space in west africa in it's in liberia and sierra leone and guinea which was going through a troubled time a various a sort of a marauding uh, nomadic civil war across those three entities uh, which was terrible. Gold price was in the doldrums and the company was listed in London and, and in Canada. It had to be very innovative, very entrepreneurial to maintain uh, its licenses, to be in business and to ultimately be successful. And um, it was great uh, grounding in the mining sector, really, and specifically in the junior end of, of how to run companies and, and make sure that successful. I got some really good tutorship from people like Guy Pass and, and Tom Elder, uh, who are really leaders in our industry. And they taught me a huge amount. We, we, quickly set up a company, co-founded a company with Kerem Senna of Ariana Resources and also Matt Granger in 2002. We was Ariana. We had Acquired a gold asset in Turkey uh, from Newmont Mining. As I say, the gold price was probably around four hundred dollars an ounce. Then we thought it was going to double, and it was a great acquisition opportunity. Uh, took it 
uh, to the London market 2005. It was quite a challenging uh, market after the uh, 77 uh, atrocities. And uh, we that, that, that company's gone on to build the Syndicate gold mine under care and stewardship. It's been a great uh, a great success and it's going to go even further, I'm, I'm sure. In 2004, we created a little business called African Aura, which we listed in, in Canada just uh, at the time of the financial crisis in 2008. So another difficult market. Uh, it's rarely uh, easy in the junior exploration sector, um, but we managed to raise some capital and uh, through a various series of transactions, we created a, a much larger entity, which ultimately uh, divested into Afero and uh, Aureus, two companies, one in gold, one in iron ore. The iron ore business was taken out and the, the gold business built the New Liberty gold mine. So the iron business was a particularly successful uh, transaction. We, we discovered an asset in Cameroon uh, called Enkut, and it was put together with a, an asset called Putu in uh, Liberia that Sevastel bought into. So that was a, a great uh, success. And uh, when Altus was launched in 2007, we were really trying to bring all of these people in our network and that, we, that we'd met and that people could perhaps finance us. And, and what we'd learned about the risks of doing exploration and how to uh, make sure your shareholders aren't overly exposed to them. And Altus was, we thought, the perfect vehicle for that, a focus on Africa where you can make discoveries uh, near to surface, which means they're faster. You don't make so many uh, mistakes. Uh, you can find your mistakes quicker and move on. And uh, focusing on multiple jurisdictions sim simultaneously. So multiple jurisdictions in terms of political risk, but also geological terrains in terms of the types of deposits you're after. So what we felt was the perfect business model. Uh, and then the world fell apart in the financial crisis, as we were seeing it firsthand through African Aura. And we pivoted slightly, built a, a natural resources fund called Altus Resource Capital, took that to the London market. We raised about $50 million. We had some really high class investors in that company like Barings Bank, uh, British Airways, Pensioners, uh, Bailey Gifford, Invesco, really good names uh, back in the junior resource equity thesis that we had. And we thought the gold price would double. And we were right the first time it did. It moved from 400 to 1,000. And then we were right again. It moved from 1,000 to basically 2,000. And the junior resource space did particularly well. Uh, and in 2011 and 12, we recycled some of the uh, money we'd made from the asset management business back into our original thesis of, of junior exploration in Africa with a diversified approach and doing transactions, which is really what we're doing today at Altus. Uh, we listed the company in 2017 in London, and then we took it to the uh, TSX in 2018. We acquired a, a company which had some assets in Mali at, at that time. And then in 2020, we were delighted to uh, welcome La Mancha as a strategic investor to the company. They've acquired a 35% stake. Effectively, it's uh, the family office at the Sawaris. It's a very uh, well-known, well-regarded Egyptian family and uh, big shareholders in Endeavor Mining and, and formerly in Golden Star, which is in the process of being taken out. They've bought 35%. Their CEO, Karim Nazar, has joined our board. And really, uh, that, that we, we were building up to this transaction. We were very excited about it. So we could see that it would be transformation for the business effectively. They had recognized what we had saw and what we had built in all of those years, not all of them so easy. And then, unfortunately, the coronavirus came along and uh, sucked all of the energy out of the market for us uh, and the transaction. Um, but the gold price started to do quite well, and we got a little bit of recognition. And so during the last two years, what we've been doing is really building out our, our royalty business. We've been continuing our activities in Mali and uh, our royalty business has grown from strength to strength. So uh, I can talk about that a little bit more. I realize that's quite a long introduction, but hopefully it gives you a, a bit of background of, uh, of, of Altus and, and my, myself personally. Yeah, no worries. Um, so what changes have sort of happened within the business since we uh, last spoke, which is obviously two and a half years ago. Um, and obviously we've had 
uh, obviously a disruption for most of part of that, but obviously business still moves on. And um, yeah, just wondering if you can tell us a little bit about some of the changes that have happened. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Altus itself has probably doubled in size uh, during this uh, these last two years, and uh, we have found new and innovative ways to work even harder uh, and be even more productive. Ironically, a little bit. Um, two, there's two facets to that. On the on the one side, it's because we've gone we've pursued our royalty acquisition strategy quite aggressively. We acquired a, uh, an interest in the Casarones copper mine in Chile. It's a very large copper deposit. And we, we acquired it in a strategic joint venture, effectively, with EMX Royalties, who are TSX listed. And, and the chairman of EMX, Michael Wynn, happens to sit on our board, which made us doing a, uh, an SBV together with them uh, very easy and straightforward. It was a great transaction. It was a $34 million deal. And just before Christmas, we discussed how we had uh, closed a deal with Newcrest Mining for $24 million, acquiring a portfolio of royalties in uh, Ivory Coast and uh, Australia uh, primarily. Uh, and we did that deal with a group called AlphaStream, effectively this, a mirror of the EMX type of deal where we worked in uh, to create a strategic partnership with them to acquire those, those assets. Uh, so we've done that on, on, on that side of the balance sheet. And then on the expiration side of things, the coronavirus obviously had a, had a big impact uh, in terms of travel and the ability for our UK team expats to get out there. But one of the great strengths of Altus has been our uh, ability and desire, passion, if you like, to train up up, uh, geologists across uh, the countries we're working in uh, from the universities upwards and we were able to mobilize our teams across Africa very successfully uh, and uh, although we weren't able to directly go ourselves to the projects we were able to continue to work in Morocco uh, in Mali and most recently in in Egypt and, and a little bit before that in Ethiopia because of that skill set that we had and the, the trust and the systems that we have in place which allowed us to execute our programs so we've continued to work uh, we've been uh, quite successful, I would say, on, on a number of fronts across our sort of royalty generation portfolio, done a few transactions. We announced yesterday a deal with Marvel Gold, an ASX-listed company, uh, where we'll be re- receiving back a 100% interest in our Lecampfler Gold deposit, and they'll be advancing the Tabor Crowley Gold deposit, where we have a, a, a very strong JV with them. It's now over a million ounces, uh, and that's one development we've had since we last spoke. Uh, our Deba Gold project has been really accelerated with a, with a mineral resource and a preliminary economic assessment undertaken. And there's some eyes now looking at that in, in real interest because it's located within uh, eye shot of uh, a 13 million ounce gold deposit called Sadiola. So it's a really well located asset. And then I guess the big news, uh, keeping it back for last, is perhaps what we've done in Egypt. Now, our, our major shareholder having an Egyptian background is, is important, of course, uh, but also we've managed to submit uh, applications in the f- pretty much the first formal international bid round for licenses in Egypt, specifically the Eastern Desert of Egypt is very prospective uh, geology. And we've been quite successful. We've required four project areas, about 1500 square kilometers. And we're now one of the largest landholders in Egypt uh, alongside Sentamin, Barrack and B2 Gold. And I'm hopeful that we'll receive further uh, licenses in due course. Initial reconnaissance that we've we've done on those properties are showing us very uh, compelling uh, indications of hard rock gold deposits being on those licenses. Now, we've got a lot of work to do in Egypt. Uh, we, As a team, we're exceptionally excited by the opportunity that it 
present. So bringing that all full circle, I guess, since we last spoke, we're now in a situation where we've got uh, projections of six to $10 million of after-tax cash flow per year coming in from our royalty portfolio. We are much further along in, in, in terms of where we take the Deba Gold deposit and building a big resource there and potentially monetizing that in due course. And we now have uh, Egypt coming up on the rails as a, as a very big deal for our shareholders. And obviously, sentiment was a huge success in, in London and to an extent in Canada. And uh, I would like to think that we're, uh, if we're successful uh, with Mother Nature and we do a good job as uh, on the technical side, we'll be able to replicate what they've done. I'm convinced that there's a number of very large world-class gold deposits to be discovered in Egypt. And I'm, I'm more than hopeful that we have potentially uh, uh, the opportunity, let's say, to have one or two of those snared within our current licenses and maybe the new licenses we'll get. So quite quite busy in the last two years. Yeah, certainly. So you, you packed a lot in in those uh, two, two and a half years. So yeah. um, one thing is a quick update on the actual royalty space sort of globally and probably more so with the jurisdictions that you're involved in. Um, mainly, I suppose, mainly Africa. Yeah, I mean, Africa's probably been a little bit quieter on on the royalty uh, side of things, and and that probably speaks to the fact that maybe. 80, 90%, potentially more of the royalty industry is North American based. And, and for uh, there are reasons why North American uh, investors, North American executives uh, who are managing, leading, creating, running royalty companies wouldn't necessarily look at Africa in the first instance. It's, it's, a, it's not next door to them. They've got fantastic uh, mining industries in North America and South America with, through which you can build a very decent royalty portfolios and companies and, and give your shareholders uh, lower perceived political risk. Uh, and so Africa is little fallen between stalls uh, to an extent. There's been some activity, but not a huge amount. And I guess we're one of the few, if only, royalty generators uh, in Africa. Uh, we're convinced that the opportunities in Africa are, are huge. I'd like to think that during the course of the year, we will undertake further royalty deals uh, on cash paying assets, let's say, uh, in Africa over the course of this year. We'll have to see whether that comes to pass, but very convinced that that is the direction of travel. But globally, I guess you're going to a situation where uh, the royalties, uh, the, the owners of royalties, you had people recognizing that they were tucked away in cupboards and, and uh, hidden away uh, in the back of balance sheets and really people didn't understand them or, or, or value them greatly, but they suddenly appreciated there was more of a market for those pieces of paper, those agreements. And sometimes they are on early stage assets, so effective their options. Uh, and sometimes they are on uh, um, advanced or cash paying assets in which they, in the case they're simply dividend paying uh, pieces of paper. Uh, and there's a market for these and, and a number of royalty companies sprung up and started to bid for these royalties. And I guess you could say the first flush or even the second flush has occurred. Those people that, that, that didn't realize them and that they had these royalties have now put them on the market and they've been bought out. So you could say that the pool of available royalties has, has shrunk, but it's not shrunk greatly. You're still seeing quite a few transactions and, and opportunities. And, and for us, without us, with our appetite for Africa and emerging markets, Markets, we're perhaps able to move on deals that other royalty companies are unable to. And I, you could say that our acquisition of the Newcrest portfolio, where um, a large proportion of the royalty value is, is in Ivory Coast on the Bonicro uh, gold mine, uh, many royalty companies wouldn't necessarily give that fair value or, or be able to bid on it in the first instance. And we were able to, to move on that. And, and alongside that, we got two cash paying royalties in Australia and 21 other assets in Australia. So a wonderful transaction for us. So companies that have a royalty companies that have an edge 
uh, as I'd like to think we do in certain cases, uh, we'll continue to do transactions. But I guess where I'm going with this is that the theme for the next two to three years is probably more along lines of consolidation. So royalty companies acquiring royalties through uh, corporate activity. And, and you saw a bit of that to the back end of, of last year, Gold Royalty and uh, Abitibi and Golden Valley coming together to create a, a sort of larger royalty entity. And, and more recently, that Gold Royalty is, uh, is making a move on elemental royalties, uh, which is a sign of things to come, I'm convinced about. About that uh, there is huge value, latent value in a lot of these royalty companies, and uh, I'm 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 hopeful uh, in due course that Altus will play a part in that uh, consolidation in that M&A because so long as it's accretive for shareholders, having a lower cost of capital uh, is a good thing. Um, so that that's really I guess the key theme of the last uh, couple of years in terms of the royalty space: uh, a depleting number of good quality royalties with more focus on on M&A. And and as we learned when we did our deal with uh, on the Casser and his copper mine, if you're able to team up with another royalty company, uh, you can not only share your acquisition costs, which are not insubstantial, uh, but it allows you to put a bigger offer on the table. Uh, and if you're able to bid more, you're able to access higher quality royalties. So the quality of the royalty does go up the more you're paying for it. And uh, therefore, if you're able to partner with another group, you can actually punch above your weight. And that's what we've done with EMX. And that's what we've done with AlphaStream. And uh, I think our shareholders can hope for us to see us do more of that in the course of uh, 2022. Um, obviously, involved in quite a few different projects. I wondered um, if you can just give us a bit of a highlight on one of the, the projects that you're working on in a little bit more detail. Sure. I mean, we do have a lot of projects. I think we've now got 61 assets in the company, uh, royalties and, and projects. And uh, the one that may be catching the market's attention right now, because it's the most advanced, will be our Deba Gold project in, in Western Mali. Uh, as I say, we announced yesterday that we're acquiring back the Lacampfler asset, which is just five kilometers away from Deba. So really forms a bit of a mining camp or mining complex between Deba and Lecamphla. And Lecamphla is interesting. It's earlier stage, but it's had sort of reports of five to 10,000 artisanal gold miners on it. It's six kilometers away from uh, two pits that amount to about two million ounces of gold that, that were operated previously by Anglo Gold. And so it's a, it's a very high, highly prospective license in in exactly the right terrain, and it's 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 been covered in artisanal gold uh, workings. It's got lots of drilling that's gone into it and delivered some very very good results. And we're we're convinced there'll be ounces to come out of that license that will then bolster the Deba Gold project, where we've actually got a drill rig right now turning, and uh, we'll be updating the market shortly on on results from that that work that we're doing there as as they're coming in. We've got about a half million ounce gold resource there. Uh, most of that, let's say. 50 50% of that is, is in oxides. We're drilling a new area called the Deba Northwest prospect. I'm quite hopeful about that and maybe generating some further resources from it. And you can see, the, the let's say the shareholders can see a way to maybe having a one million ounce target for the combined Deba and Lecampfler gold properties in due course. And we'll update the mineral resource estimate when this work is done. We'll update the preliminary economic assessment and we'll really put a pin in the map, as it were, in terms of uh, these kind of scale of assets being available in West Africa. There aren't many of them. Uh, and our business model is a little bit different from many companies that are listed. We're actively and openly uh, in the business of monetizing projects. Uh, we don't necessarily intend to build a mine, uh, although our chairman is a mining engineer, David Netherway. He's been involved in a number of mine builds, five or six in his career, very successfully. Uh, we want to monetize that asset when the time is right and we can remain a shareholder of it. But ultimately, we'll like to retain a royalty on those projects and give our shareholders a sort of long-term 
option value or returns from the success of those assets. But that's one that's probably going to drive some news flow over the next uh, quarter, but uh, it'll be quickly followed up by our progress in, in Egypt. And I'd like to think that, uh, that as I mentioned, the sentiment uh, history uh, and how that delivered fantastic returns for for London investors. Uh, that we, they that those same investors will see what we're doing in Egypt and see many parallels. And uh, hopefully, I expect get quite excited about what we're doing there. So focus initially deeper, and then Egypt coming on up, up uh, on on the rails. Um, as a company, how do you sort of assess some of the projects that, that you've uh, obviously taken on? Um, is there a sort of main catalyst or criteria for moving forward with a chosen project? It's a really good question. I'd have to divide the answer into two. One, one in terms of our our project royalty generation activities, we've got a, a obviously a very strong technical team uh, from the board down, really. Uh, and the key driver is prospectivity. If uh, my, my first boss, uh, Dr. Tom Elder, uh, taught me quite early on that the biggest risk of a junior exploration company is the failure to find anything. Uh, if you're not going to find anything that's economic, then it's a completely fruitless exercise for your shareholders. So you have to make sure you're going to find something. Then you have to make sure that you can operate in the jurisdiction. Now, that means to some companies, the, the bar is quite high, that there are some places that they just won't operate. Uh, and the places that they will operate tend to be quite fashionable and it's difficult to get land there. Because of our team's background experience, 20 years or more in, in Africa, we're very comfortable in many jurisdictions. So we have a different threshold and we can assess political risk through our network understand the, what's actually driving the politics in the country, what the direction of travel is likely to be for the next 5, 10, 15 years and make a judgment call on that. So really it comes down to prospectivity and then the availability to get ground and the judgment call you make in respect of the, the security of tenure that you've got. And we've the team at Altus uh, has got a fantastic track record really in terms of uh, staking licenses and making discoveries, but be it on the, for example, back in the day on the Encoot iron deposit that led to the Pakula iron ore asset, which is next door, held by Altus. Currently, we made a, a bauxite discovery at Bursock, transacted with an Australian company called Canyon Resources. David Nether, our chairman, joined their board. They've gone on to take on the Minimata asset next door. It's a world-class uh, bauxite deposit, and we own a royalty on the on, on the Bursock asset next door. And we also have 25, 26 million shares in, in their company. Uh, and our investment in that, in that whole process was maybe $150,000, and we got that paid back in cash within a year kind of thing. So that was... a, a a good example. Ethiopia went into, made a number of really good discoveries, gold and, and copper discoveries in the North Tigray region. It's, the politics there has changed. Unfortunately, it's a very difficult place to operate. So we've pulled out for now. Uh, and in Mali, it's, it's been it's been nonstop success, I would say, really, in terms of what we've been doing, identifying those assets when we did our transaction with Legend Gold. We felt there was really good value in them. The market wasn't giving ascribing any value to it. To be fair, it wasn't ascribing much value to anything back then. Um, but those assets have gone on and delivered fantastic returns for our shareholders. And, and likewise, you could say that with uh, Morocco, where we have a portfolio. We've announced just before Christmas a transaction with a group called East Inco, listed on the Aquis market. They'll be going to the standard listing and uh, potentially changing their name to Aterian, which is the name of our subsidiary that's focused on Morocco. They're a very good team. They've got assets in uh, Tantalum in Rwanda uh, that they're putting in with our Moroccan portfolio. And, and we discovered very quickly the Agta's copper-silver asset in Morocco. looks very attractive. It's just over the hill, literally, from an active copper-silver mine managed by the state mining company. Uh, and then hopefully taking that forward to Egypt, we've done some reconnaissance work on our licenses that we staked using satellite imagery and, and other techniques, historical data sets to focus on the areas we wanted. Very quickly, we found hard rock gold workings. Um, so in terms of bang for buck, our shareholders are getting 
having fabulous exposure. Um, you couldn't do this business model necessarily in North America where you maybe have glacial till. Uh, it's less easy to acquire perspective ground for obvious reasons. They've got a 150-year history of, of staking ground and, and doing exploration. Uh, so Africa is a treasure trove from that respect, and uh, we've we've proven that. And But it, a lot of it does boil down to the, the team we have here, the technical team, and and the economic eye. Uh, they're not, uh, as, as it's been said before, this is not a science project. Um, that everything has to make sense or we drop it and move on. On the royalty side, it's a bit different in terms of how we assess uh, the, the sort of the projects that we're going to go after. Uh, we probably have in front of us right now maybe a pipeline of 10 royalty transactions that we're looking at uh, under uh, sort of um, NDA relationships. Uh, and we take a view in terms of what we think the, the return is going to be from those projects. And some of them are in production. Some of them are a long way from production. So you have to wait uh, what your confidence is that those assets will, will one day generate you a return and what the scale of that return is, is going to be. So there's a it's a bit more of a balance sheet exercise in that respect. And as we're building a portfolio, you want to blend it in terms of your jurisdictions that you have exposure to and in terms of your cash flows, the, the run rates, as it were. So there's a few more considerations. Alistair Hume, uh, who joined us uh, in to just after La Mantra in 2020 has been doing a great job uh, assessing these uh, various royalty deals. Uh, he's been working many hours of the day and continues to to, to do that. And uh, as I said, just uh, recently, I'm convinced that we'll have more transactions to talk about over the course of the next uh, next few months. Yeah, and is there a preference for uh, as a company or maybe yourself? Uh, looking at early stage projects or projects that are, that are already in production. Um, obviously, there's benefits and benefits and um, negatives with with either. Um, but yeah. is, there, is there a particular uh, uh, preference for yourself or the company? Uh, it's a it's a how long have you got? <laughs> oh, case by case basis. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 I guess you can look at it. It comes down to portfolio construction. If if you were purely focused on early stage, uh, you know, it's, which is not a bad strategy, um, then your shareholders know that it could be a long time, and there's a there's a there's a high chance of 100% loss of uh, of investment. If you're focused purely on um, production stage assets, then your shareholders will know that they're likely to get a to get a dividend, but it's probably going to be a margin above the the cost of borrowing um, and they have to take a view of whether they could get a higher return investing in a different situation. Um, so they're looking for yield. Now, if you can do what Altus is doing and try and blend both of those. So in other words, you give your shareholders access to cash flow and to income and dividend, which reduces your, your downside risk whilst offering them what are high risk opportunities in, in expiration, then we think you're really capturing the sweet spot. You're getting the best of both worlds. And uh, the, the, the management team and the board at Altus own about 13% of the company. So there's a you have to put on top of that the alignment of interests. If you've got a management team who are purely looking at expiration, stocks and they don't own anything in the company, it's not their money, they will keep rolling the dice until they run out of other people's uh, money. So it's important to make sure that when making investments, you look at that 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 alignment of interests, I guess you can say. And I think we're, we're very strong in, in that respect. But in terms of the, the actual model of where we look, it is a case-by-case -case study, but it also it comes down to portfolio construction. And are we overweight in terms of cash flow or are we overweight in terms of a particular jurisdiction or a particular commodity? And you know, we, we keep a very eagle eye on that. One of our directors is, is Robert Milroy based in Guernsey. He's uh, the lead independent director on a number of funds based there. He was the lead independent director effectively on the fund we launched that we listed in London 
London, and he was sat on that fund for for nearly six years before he joined Altus as a director. Uh, he's a fantastic track record in in all things asset management and brings a huge amount of that DNA into uh, into Altus. So it's an important part of what we're doing, and and hopefully we're giving the shareholders the best of both worlds. Um, how do you see the sort of mining industry developing over the next? sort of three to five years. And obviously you're probably heavily involved in the gold sector. Um, yeah. Just wonder if you can comment around that. Yeah. It's, and it, and very dangerous to make predictions. Yeah, yeah, it's very dangerous to make predictions um, as we saw in late 2019. Um, it, I think there's a few things, a few themes that at least today you can look at and, and try and uh, opine whether or not they are long-term or short-term uh, events and, and you're likely to be right or wrong. We'll see. Um, one of them is inflation. And uh, the, there's a, there's obvious inflation in sort of a 30 or 40 year, year high, depending on which metrics you use or which ones you're allowed to use uh, to cap, make the calculation. Uh, and that is a change. A lot of people born in the last 30 years won't understand inflation, maybe born in the last 40 years won't have had to, to deal with inflation in terms of what impact it can have, rising interest rates on, on mortgages and and, and also the, the cost of goods uh, and the value of assets, or let's say the price of assets, probably a better way of uh, describing it. Now, some uh, commentators are wondering whether this is a transitory uh, matter that's related to uh, blockages to do with the COVID uh, uh, pandemic uh, and its supply chain related, and, and uh, there'll be a surge or a release of, of capital once this is uh, all all behind us, which may not be too far off, um, and other people are saying it, it's it's it, inflation is is a disease of of money, uh, excess money creation, of which of which there has been an unprecedented amount globally uh, in the last eighteen months. Uh, really, quite phenomenal amounts of money have been generated that have yet to be repaid. And therefore, the way that the way that one of the ways of repayment may take a form is is through the rising prices uh, and uh, and reduced supply, and also in terms of the goods that are available. So, I'd like to think right now that it's a bit of both. I think there's obviously a, a, a sort of a transitory impact from COVID. The world is readjusting back to what was normality, and that's going to cause some price movements. Um, but I think also anyone that's been following the gold space for the last 10 or 20 years will appreciate this constant theme of inflation has always been talked about that it's going to be a matter of time before it comes. Interest rates can't go down forever. I mean, technically, I guess they could, but uh, our expectation was that normal economic policy would at some point return. It would be painful when it does, and they would only do that in response to some crisis uh, of rising prices. And of course, Inflation uh, is a good precursor to rising gold prices. It's not necessarily 100% related, but one speaks to the devaluation of the currency. Perhaps you could argue it if you look at it that way. Uh, and the value of hard assets will go up and gold is the ultimate hard asset. So there's a very strong case to say that an investment in gold should, de should deliver a, a decent return risk adjusted over the next two to three years. And it might be that the gold price uh, goes down uh, in nom nominal prices, but actually the real return is, is up. It's And there's the sort of things that, that, in, that, that the market doesn't really follow greatly, but we think that gold is a great place to be for the next two to three years, whether it's, it's transitory or, or not. Uh, and then I guess there's the other theme is the electrification. There's a huge geopolitical uh, move towards sort of uh, the electrification of the economy. And uh, this there's often seen through the lens of the Western world and what we can do in terms of uh, electricity meters and, and, and import in installing sort of green energy through uh, wind and, and solar and these kind of things. And can we drive electric cars and et cetera, et cetera. But also you've got... Uh, 
billions of people in emerging markets who are also wanting to urbanize, which is going to consume large amounts of uh, commodities that are also required in electrification, literal electrification of, of towns, villages, and, 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 and ever-growing ever cities. So we're very convinced that uh, copper and, and other the so-called battery metals will also have a very bright uh, future. Uh, you've also got potential where those two themes coincide. Inflation can often impact on mine production, and you can see situations where prices of commodities are outside of gold, copper start to go up because that's in terms of the margins and the supply of the mines is going down. And you may get a perfect storm in that respect in terms of uh, a commodity market run in, in prices that, to feed this green economy, but also reflecting the fact that you're now in a more inflationary environment. So we're, we're pretty bullish on uh, commodities broadly, but I think the, the key takeaways are investments in gold and, and copper should serve uh, pretty well. Um, what jurisdictions are Altus focusing on for sort of future growth? Um, and is there any particular uh, reasons why you might focus on a particular jurisdiction? And I'll take it mainly Africa, but maybe even outside of Africa. Yeah, Africa's always been our uh, focus. Um, we and, that, and the reasons are straightforward for us. Um, the average depth of a discovery in Africa is about nine meters below surface, whereas in North America, it's between 170 and 200 meters below surface. So uh, you can usually find most deposits in Africa by looking at the ground. Uh, that means you can make discoveries really quickly, uh, test them really quickly and move on really quickly and, and you don't burn through your shareholders' capital. So two great reasons to invest in, in, in Africa there. But we, we closed this royalty transaction on Casarones, which is in Chile uh, last year, Q3 uh, last year. And that was our first move outside of Africa. And it speaks to the fact that when you're looking at cash flows, you can be a little bit more ambivalent. In fact, you can be totally ambivalent, really. It comes down to the quality of the assets and the jurisdiction it's in, in terms of your the security of your, your cash flows that you're going to get and the, how long it might go on for. Again, quality of asset, likely stability of politics. And we are therefore pursuing two effective strategies. The royalty generation business in uh, Africa, big focus coming on Egypt, but uh, Mali really right now, perhaps. Uh, and then the royalty acquisitions, we have uh, we have a global reach. So the new Crest deal we closed at the end of the end of the year did have the Bonacaras in Ivory Coast, but it also had a huge portfolio of royalties in, in Australia. So we now have uh, 23 royalties in, uh, in Australia, one royalty in uh, Chile, and uh, future deals that we do, royalty deals, could as well be in Africa or or anywhere else, as it, lit, quite literally, uh, obviously with a number of, of key exceptions. Um, but a global reach in that respect comes down to quality of asset. But Africa's a, a key a key theme for us on the on the royalty creation business. So, lastly, uh, what's the outlook for Altus over the next twelve to eighteen months? Um, and then after eighteen months, we can do another podcast. Excellent. Well, I look, I look forward to the next podcast, that's for sure. Um, I'm sure we're going to be just as busy as well as the last 18 months have proven to be. We have a number of deals in front of us, uh, pipeline deals, I guess you could describe them on the royalty front. But uh, speaking to those themes uh, about electrification and, and the power and value of copper, maybe nickel to an extent, and uh, also looking at uh, the inflationary impact on gold and commodities more broadly. Uh, I think you've got a very exciting eight months, 18 months ahead of us, especially when you add in the, the, the theme of M&A, which is likely to, to start to, to happen. So we're going to push on with the, the Debella Campfler project, as we're now calling it. Uh, we're going to 
update the MRE, update the PEA, get the market up to speed with what we have there. I think that a lot of people will then start to recognize it's a material asset, has a million ounce potential, most certainly. Uh, we'll obviously advance what we're doing in Egypt. We're very excited with the ground we've got. We expect maybe to get more ground and hopefully London investors will, will take a shine to what we're doing in Egypt and uh, could potentially see another way for a Sukari type uh, asset to be discovered and another sentiment to come out of that. So hopefully, uh, fingers crossed for us to do well there. And then on the royalty side of things, we have a number of transactions in front of us, as I mentioned. And I'd like to think we get one or more of those over the line and continue on this very aggressive growth path that we're on. I think the team here is growing. Uh, we recently appointed the announced the appointment of Michael Stark, uh, who used to firmly be with uh, Soul Gold and before that Standard Bank. So we're growing the team. We'll continue to look at deals. We'll continue to hopefully realize value for our shareholders. And uh, maybe that all culminates eventually in, in the MA that we talked about at the very beginning. And, and perhaps Altus will participate in some shape or form in that. And uh, speaking to the alignment of interests of the management team here, the board with 13% of Altus ownership will hopefully ensure that we continue to do well by our shareholders and, and strike good deals. So uh, very busy uh, 18 months ahead, I, I fully expect. Yeah, sure, it sure sounds it. Um, Steve, really appreciate your time. Uh, give us an update on Altus. Obviously, like I mentioned, you've done a lot of things over the next uh, over the last two and a half years since we last spoke. And so hopefully over the next 12 months to 18 months, um, you're going to continue the success that you've had so far. So really appreciate you updating our audience. If any of them want to reach out to you, if they've got any questions at all, um, how can they go about doing that? Are you across any social media platforms? Yeah, we're on, on LinkedIn and uh, obviously through, directly through our uh, our website, you can contact us. You can send an email to info at altus-strategies.com. I'll, I'll make sure I pick that up there. Um, we, we're, we're very, hopefully, I'd like to think, uh, transparent and communicative with uh, shareholders and investors when they approach us. And so far as we're able to within the securities laws, we're keen to ensure that uh, shareholders are, are up to date and uh, get a good uh, interactivity with uh, the board and the management team here. And, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we're not, we, are, we, we value that uh, as much as hopefully they do yeah thanks again steve uh, and to the audience listening that was an action-packed episode obviously steve covered a lot of content there um obviously told told us a lot about obviously the royalty business what's happening in africa and a lot of the projects they're involved in um, and also obviously gave us an overview of what he thinks is going to be happening over the next uh, over the next few years um so really Really appreciate your time listening. Hope you can share share this episode amongst friends, family. Um, if you're watching on YouTube channel, uh, appreciate if you can uh, share this episode um, so it goes out to more corners of the world. Um, and really appreciate your, your uh, continued support. So until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining helping each other to improve the mining industry.